Hey, welcome to the Connection Christian Church Podcast. My name is Brian Fakes. I'm one of the pastors here at Connection, and I'm glad you're here engaged in this conversation as we're wrapping up this series called God Never Said That. What we've been doing in this message series is taking some commonly held cultural beliefs and sayings, and people often think, yeah, that's from the Bible, right? Or God said that. And then we're going and actually verifying that, saying, did God really say that? What does the Bible really say? It's sparked a great conversation. If you've missed any of the messages, a great way to keep caught up is to go to iTunes and to catch the Connection Christian Church podcast. You may be doing that right now, or you can go to our church website, connectionchristian.org, and listen to the messages there. And if it sounds like uh, I'm talking straight to you today, I am. We had some problems with the message recording this past weekend, so I'm re-recording this in my office. So it's just, hey, me and you and let's have this conversation. I have to tell you, I really have loved teaching through this series because it's helped me learn and grow, and I've enjoyed all the feedback and conversations I've had with all of you. And two things I've really hoped as I've taught through this series, I hope, first of all, I've not come across as judgmental because that's certainly not how I feel about you or anyone else. I don't have it all figured out. And if you think that I am talking like, hey, I've got this all figured out and everybody else is an idiot, that is completely not true. Anybody who's known me more than five minutes can tell you that's absolutely not the case. So I'm I'm learning here too. I've loved the conversation. Let's keep talking. You can email me or text or uh, go to my Facebook page and we can talk some more. So uh, today's message, God never said that. Listen to your heart. I've been listening to a lot of rock set this week in in preparation for this message. Uh, we've been tackling this, these cultural beliefs, and the one that we're t- tackling today starts like this. You know, when you don't know what to do, just listen to your heart. Maybe you've heard that, or maybe you've said that. If you're trying to figure out what you should do in your life or making a big decision, your heart knows what to do. Or some of the other variations on this are like, hey, just trust your gut, or go with your gut, or follow your dreams. Now, this one is a lot like the cultural wisdom we looked at several weeks ago that says, hey, just do whatever makes you happy. God obviously wants you to be happy, right? He wouldn't want you to be miserable. So, you know, whatever it is makes you happy, do that. Follow your heart. Follow your dreams. I don't know. It just seems to me like people who follow their heart end up doing things that everybody else around them can clearly see is not going to end well. (laughs) But nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to be rude. They don't want to hurt their friends' feelings. Case in point, have you seen the male romper? I am, if you've heard of it by now, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I'm sorry to be the one introducing you to this. Just Google it. I don't know, but I'm just wondering who in the world thought, you know what the world of men's fashion needs? A male romper. If you're unfamiliar with this stunning piece of haberdashery, this started last month as a Kickstarter fundraising project. The guys who created this really cool, and I use that term loosely, uh, advertising video showing male models wearing male rompers ask for a mere $10,000 to get this project off the ground, which makes me think that this was just a joke. But the world took it seriously. Who knew there was such a hunger for this piece of fashion? So uh, now, last time I checked, there's almost a half million dollars been donated to this Kickstarter. So the world is responding. I don't know that that's good. The Babylon Bee, I don't know if you've heard of that, it's like the onion on Christian topics. They wrote a farcical headline said, Christians beg God not to let the male romper catch on among worship leaders. Because <laughs> we've already had V-neck t-shirts and scarves and skinny jeans, but the world doesn't need worship leaders wearing male rompers, I guess. So there you go. And uh, so I, I'm kind of with the comedian Chris Prather, who said the word male romper should never be used together. He said, I don't think anybody woke up this morning and said, I wonder if my wife owns something I can wear and be comfortable. It's real simple, folks. Would John Wayne or Clint Eastwood wear a romper? Well, would they, punk? Then I'm not either. I get it. I'm thinking, like, who thought this was a good idea? 
if this really wasn't meant to be a joke, where were the friends who said, yeah, I think I'd think about this twice before you did that. You've got to know that these guys proposed this idea and somebody said, well, not for me, but listen to your heart. <laughs> no. So Stephen Levitan, he's the co-creator, executive producer of Modern Family. You probably heard of him. He's well known for his brutal honesty. And Steve Levitan gave a speech to college graduates a few weeks ago, and he had some bluntly honest advice for these grads. He, he said, I'm supposed to impart wisdom to you. This is where I'm supposed to tell you a bunch of cliches like, follow your dreams, be yourself. I'm not going to say that because I don't know your dream. Your dream may be stupid. Your dream may be to open a DVD store or to sell jello art. Those are bad dreams. Don't do it. And if you're anything like my freshman roommate was, maybe you shouldn't be yourself. Anybody else would be better. You know, we, we say these things like, listen to your heart, trust your gut. What we're saying is, you already know the answer to what you should do. It's within you. You should seek it out, and you should listen to that. But what does the Bible say? Interestingly enough, the Bible actually warns against listening to your heart. Case in point, the prophet Jeremiah, some seven, 800 years before Jesus walked the planet, said this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That was Jeremiah 17.9. You can look it up in your Bible. So according to the Bible, you shouldn't just always listen to your heart. Your heart can't always be trusted. In fact, your heart many times will actually steer you wrong. So what does the Bible say we should be following when we're making our choices? Well, I'll take you to something in the New Testament of the Bible, 1 Peter 3.16. Peter was one of Jesus' closest students and followers and became an apostle for Jesus. And he was writing this letter we call 1 Peter to people who had either just decided to become Christians and they had just been baptized or they were getting ready to be baptized and follow Jesus. And he gave them this advice, keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So that's the advice. Peter says a good godly life that eventually wins the respect of even unbelievers comes from paying attention to what? He didn't say pay attention to your heart or your gut. He said pay attention to your conscience. Then there's the Apostle Paul, another student of Jesus and another apostle of Jesus. He wrote to a young protege of his, a, a pastor named Timothy. This is in the Bible in 1 Timothy 1.5. Paul said to Timothy, who's you know, himself leading a church, Timothy, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love. And this love comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a genuine faith. And, and so if you just back up and you look through the, that verse again, Paul is saying the goal of my teaching, and Timothy, the goal of your teaching in your church, should be to teach people to live a life of love. And one of the places you find to guide you into a life of love is a pure heart, not a deceptive heart, but it's also a clear conscience. It's really important. God's actually provided us with this great indicator to how, to how we will know if we're on the right path in life or not. And it's really not our heart, it's our conscience. And the Bible clearly holds up the value of respecting your conscience, keeping a clear conscience. But then that begs the question, well, what is your conscience? You know, a lot of people think of it this way, and I do too. You think of it maybe as the voice in your head that tells you what you should or shouldn't do. Some people picture it as like the angel and the devil on your shoulders. The angel is the voice of your conscience, and the devil is the temptations that you face. I can say this. Having a conscience is a uniquely human experience. And we, we'll talk a lot about our dogs having a guilty expression when they've done something they know they shouldn't, which is really cool, but it's really in my opinion, we're putting human emotions and human experiences into an animal's world in a way that they don't really experience. 
I don't think guilt, dogs experience a guilty conscience. My take on it is they're reacting to what they're seeing in us because we're upset with them, so they're upset. But they don't feel guilty at all. We have uh, Rosie, our chocolate lab. You know about her maybe. When we first got Rosie and she joined our family, she had to learn some of the family rules, one of which was trash cans off limits. So we'd, we'd had her for maybe a week or two. We had a rotisserie chicken, and she was all about that. She was very interested in what we were having for supper. That thing must have smelled amazing to her. So we, we finished the chicken off. We put the carcass in the container ready to come in and put it in the trash and, and left to go do something that evening. Didn't even think anything of it. We came home, and as we walked in the front door, Rosie was at the top of the steps just wagging her tail. She was so happy to see us. We walked into the kitchen, and we understood why. There was trash strewn all over the floor. A trash can tipped over. That container that had the carcass of the rotisserie chicken was popped open, and the carcass was just about gone. There were a few bones left that had been cleaned so meticulously. And in that moment, Rosie started looking guilty. Did she really feel guilty? No, she was more sensing how upset we were because one, we're thinking about the trash we have to clean up. And two, we're thinking about shards of bones of chickens, you know, just tearing her insides up and what we were going to have to take her to the vet. And she survived and she learned to leave the trash can alone, but she didn't have a conscience and she still doesn't have a conscience. It's, it, she doesn't have the ability to make moral decisions and choices about right and wrong. By the way, cats don't have a conscience either. Hey, you already knew that. I love cats, so don't write me any letters or emails. So here, here's what I want to do. With the time that I've got left with you, I just want to take a look at the Bible, look at a few biblical instructions about the care and the treatment of our consciences. So important to pay attention to those. For one thing, it's really important to be attentive to listening to and following your conscience. Rule number one of the conscience is listen to it. Now, here's one of these times where our culture has got something right. Several years ago, Walt Disney slipped some biblical truth into one of their cartoon characters. This is many years ago, but you may have seen the advice that Jiminy Cricket gave to Pinocchio. Always let your conscience be your guide. Yeah, the number one rule, never ignore your conscience. Now, here's the interesting thing. Every human being has a conscience. People in every place and time in all of history and every culture has a conscience. Whether they know about God or not, whether they've ever heard about Jesus or the Bible, everybody has some form of a conscience. If you don't, we have a word for you. You're a sociopath or a psychopath. <laughs> Those are the exceptions that proves the rule. Everybody has a conscience. And the Bible even talks about that. In, the, in Romans chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Even Gentiles, people who don't have God's written law, now stop there just for a second. These are people who don't know the Ten Commandments. They don't know what God expects. But even Gentiles who don't have God's written law show that they know God's law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and their thoughts either accuse them or tell them they're doing all right. Everybody has a conscience. And I'm pretty sure you know the feeling of having a guilty conscience. That's miserable, isn't it? When your conscience is accusing you and you know there was something you should have done and didn't do or there was something that uh, you should not have done but you did it anyway and your conscience will not let you alone. One way to look at a guilty conscience is that that's a, actually a gift from God because your conscience is trying to warn you that you are doing damage to your soul and maybe you're doing something that's even hurtful to somebody else. You would be so wise not to ignore that. Because our conscience makes us aware of when we've sinned, when we've done something that's shameful, not honorable, it's, and you ignore that warning at your own peril. So back in 1984, an Avianca Airlines jet crashed in Spain, just flew right into the side of a mountain. 
investigators are later studying the accident. They pulled out the black box, tried, hey, what happened here? And uh, there was a, a, something that was just so eerie that was revealed as they listened to the cockpit recordings of what was happening several minutes before the jet slammed into the side of the mountain. Uh, before the impact, there was a voice coming from the plane's automatic warning system that was telling the crew repeatedly in English, pull up, pull up. Now, the pilot, evidently thinking the system was malfunctioning, said, shut up, gringo, and flipped the switch off, just turned it off. It was only just a few minutes later that the jet slammed into the side of the mountain, killed the pilots, killed all the passengers on board. And what a tragic story. And it just struck me as the perfect illustration of what we do when we ignore our conscience. We don't like what it's saying. And so instead of changing our behavior, doing things differently, thinking about things differently, we just, you know... Turn the switch off. Shut up, gringo. Quit bothering me, conscience. It's like the, the light on your dash of your car. That's The check engine light's been on for a while, and you, you just, you're tired of seeing it, so you put a piece of tape over it so you don't have to see it anymore. Here's the irony. When we tell people, listen to your heart, oftentimes when people are saying something like that and they're thinking about that advice for themselves, oftentimes listening to your heart often means ignoring your conscience because there's another part of you that knows what the right thing is to do. And so the danger associated with ignoring your conscience is really more than just the pain you will experience in that moment. You could actually develop what some people call a calloused conscience. Again, the Apostle Paul talked about some people who experienced just that thing, a calloused conscience. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. The, the Spirit clearly says in later times, some people will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits, even things taught by demons. Now, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, which is a, just a horrible image that something is so damaged, it's like it's been touched with a hot iron and it's just marred so much that it doesn't feel anything anymore. And do, you, do you play a, a stringed instrument? Maybe play guitar, violin, bass, something like that. Now, I play guitar, and I'll tell you, guitar is easy to learn, but it is very painful up front. When I was learning to play piano, it was frustrating, but it was not painful. Guitar is at first because as you press those guitar strings, they start to create grooves in your finger, and it hurts. Practice long enough like I did, and your fingers may even bleed. But if you stick with it over a few weeks, your fingers will compensate for that, and you'll develop some pretty thick calluses on the tips of your fingers. And so after several months of playing guitar, I hardly noticed the strings. After playing for several years... I had calluses on my fingertips that were so thick that I could put my fingertips on a hot stove and I wouldn't feel it at first because my fingers had become calloused and unfeeling. And that's good when you're learning to play guitar. That is awful if it happens to your conscience. When you ignore your conscience, eventually your conscience will stop bothering you. And that's not a sign that God has changed his mind or that your conscience is saying, oh, it's okay now. What that's a sign of is that you've ignored your conscience so long that you just don't even know the truth anymore. You can't hear the truth, and you are headed for a collision with the side of a mountain if you don't change. Now, here's another thing to think about. As you learn to listen to your conscience, it's also very important to respect other people's consciences. Author and missionary J.D. Crowley talks about an experience he had here in the States. He grew up in the States, then he was served as a missionary in Cambodia for several years, and then he came back to the States, and he was hanging out with some friends one day, watching a ball game, and sitting on the couch, he decided to get up and get some nachos and salsa, and the guy sitting next to him had his feet from the sofa on the coffee table, 
JD stood there, and what any other American would do is just either kick their legs and say, move, or just step over. But he said, I was standing there, and I literally could not make myself step over this guy's legs. And I was trying to think, like, why is this? What's going on here? Well, in American culture, again, it's okay just to step over. In Eastern Asian culture, and especially in Cambodia where he was at, one of the rudest things you could do would be to step over someone's legs or to not move your legs if somebody needed to get by. And so when you look at that, what had happened? JD's conscience subtly had been infiltrated by the consciousness uh, and the the set of values that he picked up in Asia. He hadn't even thought about it. It just seeped into his conscience. And so what that illustrates is everybody has a different conscience. There are things in your conscience that will bother you that won't bother someone else at all and vice versa. No one's conscience completely matches anyone else in the whole world. And so you say, well, who's right? The guy who won't move his legs or the guy who won't step over? Well, they're both right. It's not a right or wrong thing, but it is a conscience issue, and you should respect that. Let me give you a few more examples of where, depending on the generation that you grew up in or what culture you grew up in, there may be some things that bother you that don't bother other people at all. And you just think about these. You can, where you're at right now listening, you can kind of say, hey, that's me if you want. Does this bother your conscience, the idea of playing cards? And if it does bother you, I pretty much know what generation you were born in. How about dancing? How about wearing pants to like church or to some other social function? How about eating meat? Does that bother your conscience? Or how about drinking coffee that's not free trade? You don't know exactly where that coffee was grown and did the farmer receive fair compensation? How about eating chicken or eggs that weren't free-range chickens? How about not recycling? Does that bother your conscience? Or maybe buying clothes that could have been sewn in a sweatshop? For some people who are hearing me say this list, they're like, that's no big deal. And then other things are going to say, like, that's a huge deal. Everybody should be bothered by that. And it's a matter of conscience. And our consciences will not always match up. It's always going to vary from person to person. And so what do you do when you come into contact and you have to experience life with somebody who has a, a different take on something that than you do when your consciences don't match and maybe even conflict. Well, the Bible actually talks about this. In Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, we get this advice. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Okay, so those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't, And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God's accepted them. And who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master, Jesus, will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So there's that. We keep this in mind. When my conscience and your conscience conflict, and it's not a black and white, it's not something the Ten Commandments talk about, we agree to disagree. We don't argue with each other. We recognize that we each stand before Jesus and we don't judge each other. Well, then there's another scenario that the early Christians found themselves in in church. So you got to imagine that some people who came to Jesus and started following him came out of some pretty uh, different religious experiences. And for some of them, the things that we grew up hearing about in literature class as Greek mythology or Roman mythology, that was actually church for them. That was a real thing. That was their religion. So some people grew up 
going to temple and worshiping and offering sacrifices to Zeus or Diana or Venus or Aphrodite. And that was a very real thing to them. And then they came to know about the one true God and about Jesus, his son, and they submitted to him and they're worshiping him now. Other people grew up knowing about the one true God, or maybe they grew up even in a Christian home because they were younger and their parents knew Jesus and just raised them in Jesus. So to them, they would look at the whole worshiping the, the idols in the temple thing and go, well, that's obviously nothing because there's only one God. Now, these people are together in church worshiping together. And here's where the dilemma would come in. Often in these places where idols were worshipped with the sacrifice of animals, there were a couple things that could go on. You could often go to those temples and eat because the meat that was sacrificed to the idols would be barbecued. And so you could, in one way, worship by eating the meat or just go there because the food was good. Like some people like to go to the casino, not to gamble, but just because the food, the restaurants are good. So for other people, though, they would go to the marketplace and they could go to a certain butcher shop and they could get a discount on the meat because before it showed up in the shop, it had been offered at the temple. And so it was just a way to save some money, buy the meat that had been offered at the temple first. Now, here's why that bothered some people. Some people who came out of that background were saying, I can't eat that meat. It was offered to an idol. Other people are going, well, idols aren't real, so it doesn't matter. So here's the advice that they were all given, and we can apply this to any other situation where we have a conflict uh, in our church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, You must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if, you see other, if, if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their own conscience by eating food that's been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. So again, at Scripture's over, how, how do we assess who's right here? Well, both of them are. Here's an interesting thought. If your conscience tells you something is wrong, and you do it anyway... You're sinning. You're sinning against your own conscience. Or if you encourage somebody else to do something that they believe is wrong, you're encouraging them to sin. Now, maybe Jesus would say, it's really not a big deal. But he would also say, because you think it's a big deal, you should respect that. And we have to keep in mind, again, that your conscience is not the same as my conscience. Some things that, that don't bother me, and Jesus says it's okay for you, they might, might bother you because of your, your past experiences or because of things that are a weakness for you that aren't a weakness for me, and vice versa. So we have to be really careful to respect each other and not judge each other. Here's another thing. None of us can say, my conscience completely matches up with what God's conscience would look like. None of us completely can say, my, my life completely matches God's will. I know exactly what he wants on every subject, which leads to the last thing I want to point out about the care of your conscience. It's really important to be diligent about educating your conscience. My conscience, your conscience, they're not infallible. They are not the ultimate source about what's right and wrong. It's, your conscience can't really teach you morals. It, it takes the morals you've already been taught and holds you accountable to them. So it really is contingent on how much you already know as to how much bothers you. And one way to think about it is that your conscience is like a window, not a light bulb. Your conscience uses the light that's provided to it and it lets it shine through, but the light bulb, the source of the light is somewhere else or the sunshine. And so where do we get our conscience? 
if you think about it, you probably a lot of it came from your parents and your upbringing. Many things that we hold in our conscience we think are wrong or right came from our culture and our peers. And we can't even really track down why we think something is wrong. We just do. And it's because the people around us also thought it was wrong. And then if you ask them, why do you think it's wrong? They may not even be able to tell you either. But that's how it happens. Our conscience is just kind of a combination of all the things we've heard and been taught and what our culture says is acceptable. Hopefully there's some godly input there. What this means is that sometimes our conscience can be wrong about things. It can convict you of something and say, oh, you shouldn't do that, when God would not at all have a problem with it. On the other hand, it also means that there are some things that maybe don't bother you, but they should because you just right now don't know that it's wrong. But as you learn these things, that should educate your conscience so that you... I'll give you a great example I can tell immediately what generation you're in based on how you feel about recycling because like nothing against millennials, but just like almost 100% of millennials would tell you it is a sin not to recycle. However, the same millennials, just very few of them, just like maybe 20, 25% would say that it's wrong to look at porn. Now, if you take the generation before mine, you like the baby boomers and, and before that, uh, so, or even some of the Gen Xers, that would almost switch. Uh, we would say, recycling, what's the big deal? However, you shouldn't look at porn. So there's things where your conscience may convict you and then maybe needs to be educated in other areas. So as I just go ahead and close this out, I want to give you a couple of thoughts about how you educate your conscience. And I would just say it this way, let God teach your conscience. And one way you can do that is through embracing the scripture and good godly teachers. See, here's, here's what happens we don't necessarily know what needs to be in our conscience until we read the Bible and say, okay, here's the source of what's right and wrong. I'll give you a great example of this. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul again writing to Timothy. He says, you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true because you know you can trust the people who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom that you need to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, all scripture is inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us what re- realize what's wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we're wrong and the Bible teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and to equip his people to do every good work. So the more you know of this Bible, the better your conscience will work. If, if the Bible, or if your conscience is like a window, the source of light is the Bible. If I could change the metaphor, maybe think of your conscience as a Bluetooth speaker. It doesn't have any music programmed into it. It needs a phone or some other source of music to play through it. And it'll play the music really well, but it needs a good source, which the Bible can serve as that. So you find um, not just the Bible, but you find gifted teachers who can bring it out in a way that you understand. And you find good books to help you understand the Bible. You take time every day, which is why we just encourage you so much to get into the Bible every day and just make it your constant habit to be reading because we want to constantly grow in our knowledge of what a godly life looks like. And, and so here's the thing. There are times in our lives, especially if you're a newer Christian, I just want you to feel really good about where you're at. You're moving toward God and don't feel guilty about this, but you don't know a whole lot necessarily about what it means to honor God. Nobody does. My whole life, your whole life, it's a constant learning process. And hopefully there's not too big a gap between what we know and what we're doing. And as time goes on and we learn more about God, we also want to be doing and acting on what we learn. And we, the, the worst thing in the world is that you can know three feet of Bible 
and be doing three inches of, of it and being three inches obedient. But you know, like there's this enormous gap between what you know and what you're actually doing. And, and as we grow, we're going to constantly be aware of more things that we need to grow in. And that's okay because that's the work of our lifetime as a Christian is to, to learn to grow, to be like Jesus. Which brings me to the other thing I want to say that you can do to teach your conscience. And that is not just to embrace the scripture, but embrace the one who wrote it. Listen to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5.16, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The Holy Spirit wrote the Bible. He inspired the, the people who wrote this down. And the Holy Spirit's job as, as a Christian, if, if you are one, the Holy Spirit is actually living in you. God's Spirit is within you, teaching you and reminding you of what Jesus taught, helping you actually do the things that you know you should do. And so you want to listen and spend the rest of your life following the lead of the Holy Spirit, helping, letting Him close that gap between what you know and what you're doing. There is there's always going to be some ping of your conscience and my conscience our entire life. Don't let that discourage you. Uh, that means you're moving in the right direction. You're trying to make your life consistent with what you believe. And that's great. And we are so fortunate. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us and is patient and is kind. And He is constantly trying to move us toward the life that we know that we should be living. So as I close this message out, I would just like to encourage you to be thinking about and to praying about what is it that the Holy Spirit is speaking into your conscience and into your mind and what is he leading you to do today? Would you think about that?